0: Hi there, listeners. Welcome to episode 149 of Never on the Backfoot podcast. Even though Cricket Australia is in no hurry to appoint their new one-day captain, the record World Cup winners have received a setback. Their veteran batter Aaron Finch has bored out of the 50-over format after leading Australia to a comfortable series win over New Zealand. To put Aaron Finch's captaincy into perspective, Australia hammered the Black Caps 3-0 in the recently concluded three-match bilateral series. Finch, who has announced his retirements from ODIs after playing the final match of the New Zealand series, will continue to lead Australia in the shortest format of the game. The Australian white ball team is more focused on the title defence of the reigning T20i world champions. Defending Champions Australia is hosts of the 2022 edition of the ICC World Cup T20. Finch had guided Australia to its maiden World Cup title in 2021. Aaron Finch has suffered from a lean run of affairs that saw him struggling to get numbers on the board. Despite his dip in batting form, Finch has been a juggernaut in the sh- shorter format of the game and has led Australia from the front. Finch's retirement leaves Australia with a crucial decision to make a year prior to the ICC. World Cup happening in India. Not only do they need to replace the veteran batter at the top of the order, but they also more crucially need someone to take over the leadership role from him. In this episode, we'll also be talking about Rachel Haynes and her retirement and what this means for the Australian women's setup as well. On the podcast today, joining us for the discussion is Anshul. He is an engineer by profession, but like most of you all, he is very passionate about cricket. He represented his state, Madhya Pradesh, in the National Amateur T20 Cricket Tournament in 2015. Ever since he started watching cricket seriously back in 2005, he saw the never-say-die attitude of the men down under and instantly became
1: a fan of the mighty Aussies. Hi Anshul, welcome to Never on the Backfoot podcast. How are you doing today?
2: Hi Neha, I'm doing absolutely fine. In fact, elated after exactly what happened the previous night.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Still got chills about that Mohali 22 match.
1: <laughs> right. And uh, just to give context to our listeners, now you are a big Australia cricket fan. So how did all of that happen? Uh,
2: so actually, my father was a lot into cricket. I mean, he was a diehard Indian fan mm-hmm. to, be, to begin with. But I saw this 2005 Ashes Seas. I mean, this is that series are arguably the fiercest and most competitive test series that has ever occurred in the history of the game, right? Mm-hmm. And what I saw in that particular series was the never die, never say die attitude of Australia. I mean, I vividly remember uh, Brett It was uh, Brett Lee. It was Andrew Flintoff with the ball. Australia needed, I guess, one, two, two, two runs to win, and then lost the match by one run. It was like, I was so involved in that particular theory of, those, of that particular attitude that I started following them. Hmm. I, did a, I started doing a little bit of research about them, that how, what are their statistics, how they do. I mean, I'm not personally a fan of numbers, to be very honest. But hmm. yeah, I did some research like, what are, what are their records? And I was so fascinated that these are the all conquering Aussies. I mean, they have literally conquered every territory on this planet, be it West Indies, South Africa, England, New Zealand, even India. India didn't used to be, and India is never an easy uh, uh, region to conquer to begin with. Mm -hmm. But the way way they did it in 2002 series, it was just, uh, I honestly remember that series for Matthew Hayden, Mm -hmm. the way he went about business despite of the absence of ricky Ponting, it was absolutely bonkers and when i came to know about that particular series that yeah they conquered india Mm. i was like man i have to have a look at it so that is how the love affair began and gradually as i grew up i became more and more interested in them and yeah here i am now
1: Right, I mean, yeah, the fanaticism really comes through and I'm so glad, you know, that we're doing this episode. And uh, last week, we had Aaron Finch, right now, he announced his retirement from ODI Cricket following what has been a horror run of form for him with the bat. He's just averaged, what, 12.42 in the 50-over format. So what were your first thoughts on this decision and did you actually see it coming?
2: Mm, well, I think this decision was not taken by Finchy just out of spite.
3: Mm.
2: I mean, we could all see this thing brewing for a really long time now. The way uh, I mean, there's no denying the fact that Finchy had been in this kind of form ever since the pandemic struck. Mm. He just wasn't able to play the way we are used to see him play. I mean, if you look at the 2015 World Cup or the 2019 World Cup, the guy plays with a lot of freedom at the top of the order. Mm. I mean. England's entire basketball strategy, entire, England's entire ODI revolution is based on the way David Warner and Aaron Fitch used to go about their business in ODI cricket. Hmm. Uh, but I think, uh, I personally think it is a right decision. Because with everything he played ever since the pandemic, it was just getting harder for him to get out, the, get out of the slump. Hmm. I mean, given the fact we have got a 50-over World Cup on the horizon, had he entered the tournament like this, irrespective of what he brings to the table with his leadership skills, he would he would still have remained a weakling for this Aussie lineup. To be very hmm. honest, and in a tournament like World Cup, being an Aussie, I don't think that they should enter any ICC tournament with a weakling. Hmm. So I honestly believe that yeah, it was a decision taken. Uh, it actually broke a lot of people that yeah, Fenchi is retiring, oh my god he's a big stalwart, but yeah it was the right decision in the end as well
1: Fair enough. And, you know, in spite of his, uh, you know, tough time with the bat, he's still been quite a commendable captain, right? Now, he will still lead Australia at uh, next month's T20 World Cup campaign, and this is on home soil. So, do you think this is still good signs for Australia? And we saw some of his captaincy on play last night, too, right? You know, chasing that mammoth total the way he marshaled his men. So, what are your
2: thoughts on this? Look, Finchie is a born leader in this Australian lineup. I mean, even if he may not be in the form with the bat, he's still good enough to make the right decisions for the team. I mean, just the other, way, other day, like you mentioned, we all saw how he brought up Zampa as soon as Kohli came into the middle, mm-hmm. irrespective of it being inside the power play. And it reaped rewards, actually. Virat ended up playing a few dot balls there. And it was just gold on that belter of a wicket. I mean, if you are playing three or four consecutive dot balls inside the power play, on a wicket that ends up with a total of 209 in the very first innings. Mm-hmm. Those dot balls are actually gold. And it reaped re- rewards in the end as well. Zampa isn't one to hold to in the power play to begin with. I mean, we have Glenn Maxwell to do the to do that job for mm-hmm. us. But the kind of presence of mind he had at that time to bring Zampa in is what actually sowed the seeds of that Kohli dismissal. Mm-hmm. That is at least what I feel. And as far as it is about his form with the bat in the shortest format, he still seems to have some gas left in his tank to go mm-hmm. all the way to the World Cup, starting in four weeks' time, I guess. Yeah. yeah. He's still one of the stalwarts of Australian white ball cricket, to be honest. And now that I think the monkey is off his back with all the captaincy facade and stuff, mm-hmm. I think he would bat a bit more freely. And that's indeed a really good sign for us going into our title defence beginning next month.
1: Right. And even when we talk about Finch's numbers, right now, he has scored 5,401 runs at 39.13. He has smacked 17 centuries in ODI cricket since 2013. He's also won a World Cup title on home soil in 2015. Now, do you think these are grossly disappointing numbers considering a player of his stature and he never quite realized his potential maybe? Look, uh, I honestly
2: don't think I'm a big fan of numbers, to be honest. Mm. I mean, yeah, they are a metric to compare statistically the performance of a player, but what these numbers don't tell you is the impact that that player's performance has on the game. If I talk about the biggest highs Aussies pulled under his leadership, it has to be the come-from-behind 3-2 ODI series win in India after being 2-0 in the first two matches of the series itself. I mean, we all remember that series for Ashton Turner Heroics of Mohali 2019, (laughs) <laughs> or usually is consistent 50 plus across the series for that matter. Mm-hmm. But what went under, under the cloud was that 70-80 run partnerships Finchie used to give with the first wicket.
3: Mm.
2: Now at the same time, if I talk about uh, his numbers from the 2019 ODI World Cup, uh, he scored, I guess, some 500 odd runs at an average of 50. But we all associate Australia's campaign in that particular tournament with the heroics of David Warner and the way he returned of that one-year exile from cricket. Hmm. And of course, the mastery of Mitchell struck with the ball. But now, what I'm trying to say is, an average of fifty is not bad. An average of fifty is absolutely bonkers in a tournament like ICC World Cup.
3: Hmm.
2: However, it went under the radar because there were people performing better than it. Right. Hmm. And at the same time, there was one series in India where he did where he performed mediocre. But even that mediocre performance had impact on the result of this entire series. So uh, coming back to your question, I won't say these are disappointing numbers. Because the impact he has had on the game, on the way it is played these days, Hmm. it is something that cannot be reflected by these numbers, to be honest. I mean, the fact that England's entire ODI revolution ever since 2015 World Cup exit is based on the way Warner and Finch went about their business at the top of the order. I mean, this is just one of the examples of the kind of impact he has had on the game. So I don't think we should judge a player based on what he has aggregated across his career in terms of numbers.
1: I think that is a good point to bring in. But, you know, considering how uh, his average, right, in the last seven innings has just been 3.71. He's even broken the all-time Australian record for the most ODI Ducks too in a calendar year with five scores of zero in 2022. What do you think is going wrong? you know, And why is this inconsistency constantly creeping in
2: his game? Uh, Look, there is no hiding to the fact that the game has evolved so much for Hmm. the 2015 World Cup. And at the same time, we cannot forget that Finchi is getting older as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: When the slump began, as the cricket resumed post-pandemic, it, see- it did seem like a technical flaw, to be honest. And a lot of commentators on air, the likes of Pander, Wani, Has, Ravi Shastri, Nasir Hussain, literally everybody pointed it out in his technique. But as this hole grew deeper and deeper, it became more of a mental thing, I think, mm-hmm. than a technical flaw. And the fact that there are some youngsters knocking on the door for selection, it, in, it only grew tougher for him and thus mounted the mental pressure. I mean, it's a funny thing, you know, <laughs> people think that cricket is played on the field, but mm. like it is said in the, in the Australian culture, cricket is actually played inside of your brain as well. Mm. The more you keep things simple in your head, the easier it would be for you to play on the field. So I think it did begin with a technical flaw, but now it's just a mental thing. So it's actually, that is where things went wrong.
1: Right. And, uh, you know, talking about former greats too, there have been a lot of warning signs, you know, issued by these greats as to how imperative it is for Finch to regain his form and how it has been a cause for concern for Australia for so long now. Now, even during last year's T20 World Cup triumph in the subcontinent, Finch was probably far from his best, right? He just made like, what, 135 runs at 19.28 and his strike rate was super disappointing for an opener with just, you know, it being at 116.37. So, what are your thoughts on the same?
2: Look, scoring in subcontinent for any Australian batter is difficult. Hmm. Be it any format, be it Test, ODIs, or T20s. I think it's still a small sample size, but from the way he batted in the first T20 international against India at Mohali the previous night,
3: hmm. I think he's
2: going to play a bit more freely from now on, going into the World Cup, because I think he had a bit of failure. He had a bit of fear of failure prior to this resignation. However, now that he has announced his retirement, like I said, the monkey is off his back. Yeah, I can see him play with without any fear of failure. And the fact that this T20 World Cup is in Australia, and like every other player, Finchy is also aware of his home conditions. Hmm. I mean, he, he does play for the Gates every year in the BBL, across all the grounds in Australia. Hmm. So that thing is just going to add to his confidence. I mean, he knows the conditions. But at this age, at this point of your career, he knows what the oppositions are going to do to him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he is more mentally liberal than before. So, I think he would be okay at the World Cup down under. I mean, just as a batsman, he would be quite decent. I'm not really worried about Finchy being in this particular slump that he is in because I expect him to come out of it come the World Cup, Comes October 22nd.
1: Exactly. And I think even Australia will be hoping, you know, he can actually find his form and, you know, just contribute as much as he can. Now, even when we look at Australia, they will be announcing a new ODI captain, perhaps in November, ahead of next year's World Cup that's happening here at home. And we have Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, Adam Zampa, Alex Carey, among so many leading candidates in the running, right? Now, who do you think should be the next captain for them? David Warner. It
2: has to be David Warner. I mean, from what I have read on Fox and other Australian media reports, they're actually contemplating over the likes of Pat Cummins, David Warner, Steve Smith, and Alex Curry. Hmm. But if you look at these names closely, you will realize that David Warner is the only person who who plays almost every match in both white ball formats consistently. Hmm. I mean, if you look at somebody like Pat Cummins, yeah, of course, he's the Aussie Test skipper. He's definitely going to be the first choice. But the fact that CA uh, But the fact that CA allows workload management for its famed pace duo of Camo and Mitch Stark, Hmm. Cummins is definitely not going to play ODIs and T20s that consistently.
3: Hmm.
2: And as far as Smudge is concerned, he is a lock in ODIs, no doubt about that. But in terms of T20s, not so much. And with the 50-over World Cup on a horizon in India, you cannot afford to have instability in the eleven, let alone in the captaincy's role. Look, Devi is an experienced campaigner. He has led at franchise level in past. He has tasted success in in fact, at the international level, he was Mudge's deputy for a very long time hmm. and he knows conditions in India way better than any other Australian at the moment. Now I know he was slapped with a lifetime ban from cricket Australia, but hmm. the guy has served his time. If I'm being honest, we, they have to give him a chance.
1: Right. And, you know, I will come to this uh, David Warner thing a little later on in the episode too. Now, when we talk about Pat Cummins too, right, he has conceded how it's unrealistic for him to be considered uh, Australia's sole captain across all three formats. Do you think split captaincy is certainly the way ahead for Australia considering it's a model that has worked well for them?
2: It has to be. I mean, look, Pat Cummins said it there and it rightly so. He's the test skipper and also an integral part of the test setup as a player itself. With the kind of scheduling we have these days, there are fixtures 10 out of 12 months in a calendar year. So it will be honestly very naive to think that he'll feature in all matches that Australia play. Hmm. But at the same time, we do not have any other option as well than to have two captains. One for limited overs and another, op- uh, another one for tests. So yes, split captaincy seems to be the way for Australia going forward, like was the case with them before. And like was the case with England, with Mox taking charge in ODIs and T20s hmm. and Jorud being the skipper in tests. And it would actually be a senior call to hand over the Baton to Devi for ODIs and T20s and hmm. not touch Kamo as to so as to keep him up and fresh and ready for all the tests that Australia play across the entire WTC cycle.
1: Fair enough. And uh, now we do have Aaron Finch, you know, leading Australia in this uh, upcoming T20 World Cup at Australia. But I think a call on the captaincy for the T20 team after that is likely to follow, right? Because Finch has revealed that he uh, would consider his future in the format after the summer, most likely hinting yeah, that he may right. not continue. So who? Mm-hmm. So, do you think Australia should have separate captains for limited overs like ODIs and T20s? And who do you think can be the candidate for T20s? 20
3: Look, uh,
2: if I'm being entirely honest with you, I'm not a big fan of split captaincy in the first place.
3: Okay. I mean, unless
2: the captain in one format is not going to play all the games in other two formats, you have to go with a single captain. But mm-hmm. since that is not the case here, they have to instill a captain for limited rovers and another one for tests. This is actually the right call as well, I think. Since a player is skipper in ODIs, he'll also be able to know the dynamics of T20s as well and what challenges it brings along. As the skipper, to have one captain for ODIs, another one for T20s would be nothing less than a suicidal approach, Hmm. because it would actually upset the balance and approach of the entire team to begin with. It is not easy for any player, let alone a Virat Kohli stature or a newbie like Cameron Green, Hmm. to shift swiftly, swiftly their game from ODIs to T20s in the first place. Add to that the difference in approach of two different captains because ultimately two humans cannot have the same approach. Hmm. This would literally destabilize the entire white ball setup in any cricket squad, let alone Australia. Hmm. It would just prove the saying, too many cooks will ruin the dish. (laughs) So yeah, I do not think they should go with one captain for ODIs, another one for T20s, and Pat Cummins, of course, being the captain in Tests.
1: Right. And uh, you have also spoken about how, you know, David Warner looks like this likely candidate. Now, after Finch's retirement from the format, uh, Pat Cummins also called, you know, for David Warner's lifetime uh, leadership ban to be lifted. Even Adam Finch has endorsed David Warner for the role. Now, when you look at Warner, right, he has enjoyed captaincy success in white ball cricket. He led SRH to the title in 2016. He has, I think, even spoken about wanting to, you know, lead Australia again after receiving that uh, lifetime captaincy ban and that very... Uh, sad incident that happened in 2018 that really marred Australia's reputation as well. Now, however, his you know full-on schedule, plus the fact that he's set to turn 36 in October, may, I guess, mm-hmm. prompt the management to choose the other candidates who are in fray. So what do you think? Do you th- still think David Warner is your best candidate? And thoughts on the same?
2: Look, Neha, at the end of the day, we are all humans. Mm-hmm. We all make mistakes. And so did De- Devi on that unfortunate afternoon in Cape Town but for which he has also severely been punished as well. But a lot has happened since that incident, to be very honest. I mean, yeah. we all can yeah. see it. He is a changed man now. He is not the same bull who took the Australian cricket and global cricket, for that matter, by storm. Mm-hmm. He's a lot calmer. He has learned to make the right choices, be it on or off the field. If anything, he's a reverend now. I mean, that is how we used to address <laughs> him in the most recent ashes. He still possesses the leadership trait, though. Hmm. And it's not just Kamo who seems to have seen it. Hmm. A lot of legends of the game, including the likes of Gilly and Hados, have also endorsed Warner for captaincy and for his ban to be lifted. Now, coming to the thing that you mentioned about his age, I don't think age should be a factor in any sport as long as the player is performing. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. We have why we have this theory in cricket, in particular that we seem to write off a player as soon as they turn 35. 35,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is such a shame Mm -hmm. because we have seen players who have trained well and performed rather better after after turning 35. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Davies got vast experience behind him. Mm -hmm. He knows literally almost every other player in the international circuit at the moment. Mm -hmm. He has either played with or against them quite a few times actually. And with the World Cup on the horizon, you need that kind of experience in your leader, who is not mm-hmm. only aware of the challenges that are to come ahead, but also has got the ways to sail the ship under the under, circum, uh, under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And if it's about the age, even the Indian captain is a 35-year-old, who is <laughs> arguably in the toilet phase of his career. Mm-hmm. And from how it turned out, post-Virat's axing from the ODIs and resignation from the tests, mm-hmm. Like they did not even think twice before appointing a 35-year-old as captain hmm. with a couple of World Cups on the horizon. The 20-over World Cup right uh, starting next month and the 50-over World Cup almost any year from today. Hmm. I don't think C. A. R. Gonna contemplate much into this age thing either. Just like B. C. C. I. <laughs>
1: Right. And that's how it should be, you know, because uh, obviously David Warner is a player with so much caliber and he brings a lot to the table and he has reformed. He does seem like a front runner. But uh, to put other uh, candidates into perspective, we have Alex Carina, right? Now, he has mm-hmm. been earmarked as an Aussie skipper for quite some time now. The keeper batter has established himself as a regular. We've seen him in tests, in the ODI lineup, with also his ability to pay, play spin, you know, so comfortably. Now, he is obviously an asset and this might perhaps, you know, uh, prompt the think tank to uh, consider him for this role because he is, I think, going to be a key member for Australia's uh, World Cup uh, prospects in the subcontinent. So, what do you think, you know, should Australia give him a run to?
2: Look, uh, like the case is with Smudge. Similar is hmm. the case with Kerry, I think. He's an established campaigner in the test arena as well as ODIs. No doubt about it. But he is still to decode his T20 game. And from mm-hmm. the current T20 scenario, scenario in Australian setup, he's not anywhere near the fringe, to be very honest. So appointing him as a skipper would again require them to assign a different captain for T20s. Mm-hmm. And thus, it would ultimately create a hiatus in the mix. They do see him as a future prospect. They did, many, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, cricket pundits, including Pander, Walney, Hedos, have all asked the management to mark him as a future prospect. Hmm. Uh, recently, it was done in the Ashes series as well, where Nick Knight, Michael Won, these pomps even uh, referred to him as a future prospect for captaincy uh, for Australia. But he is still a bit raw product to be handed the captaincy at this moment, I think. Though from a future prospect, they could name him the deputy of the ODIs so Mm -hmm. as to give him some insight time into that much famed leadership group of Australia. I mean, that would not only bring, uh, that will not only allow him to bring his A game to the table in terms of with the bat, but it will also give him certain insights about how the leadership group works in Mm -hmm. a particular team like Australia. Exactly. Exactly
1: let's talk about Steve Smith, right? Now, he returned to captaincy for the first time since Cape Town in uh, the 2021 Ashes Test at Adelaide after Pat Cummins was forced to isolate because of that COVID-19 incident and everything that happened. It was a yeah. successful uh, outing for Smith, who, you know, led his side to victory amid some of the most resistance by England in that series. Now, there is a strong uh-huh. case to appoint him as the ODS skipper, right? Now, the addition of Tim David to the T20 squad also puts uh, Steve Smith's position in that team under threat. And uh, this may uh, spare up some time to freshen up for the test and ODI formats for him. Now, given Australia also heads into an important 12 months of ODIs, they might be, you know, kind of inclined to hand over that captaincy to him because he's an experienced figure. He's been in the setup for so long. So do you think Australia might reconsider giving captaincy back to him?
2: Uh, well, for starters, I don't think Tim David's inclusion in this Australian setup is anywhere near challenging Smith's position at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, it is actually challenging that of Marcus Toynis. Because if we talk about the last 15-18 months or so, he has not played any significant innings, mm-hmm. bearing that famed semi-final against Pakistan at Dubai, where ah. he was carving and pulling the likes of Haristroff and Hassan Ali for fun. Secondly, I do think Steve Smith is still a little uncertain in T Twenty setup, only because of the way the dynamics have changed. Uh, I don't think they are bothered. I mean, the manage. I don't think the management is bothered about his position in the T Twenty setup mm-hmm. because he has that reputation. He he's completely skillful to withstand around it as well. But if the comp- if the management are actually sure about having a floater and smudge in that T Twenty international setup with all other power hitters around him. I do think we could see him return uh, as a full-time captain Mm -hmm. in at least ODIs and T20s.
1: Right, and uh, talking about another important candidate in the setup is Glenn Maxwell, right? Now, Mm -hmm. he is also considered... As a candidate who is, you know, been in the setup for so long, he's also had experience captaining the Melbourne Mm -hmm. Stars in the BBL. He's captained Punjab Kings in the IPL, uh, not Punjab Kings, captaining Punjab in the IPL as well.
2: Yeah, Punjab.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but, uh, you know, in his case, the Melbourne Stars have not, you know, tasted successes yet. And I think the all-rounder has a better chance of being named as the vice captain of the ODI side. As you know, he can offer excellent insights while not trying to uh, worry too much about, you know, captaining the side and have that load. I think the same was the argument for him being an RCB captain, right? Mm -hmm. The more pressure you put on him, he can't, you know, deliver the goods. So what do you think of him as a potential captain material?
2: I actually agree with you on this point, Neha. I mean, Mm -hmm. even I personally don't think they should consider Maxi for the captaincy role at all. Because from what we have seen all these years about Maxi and his game, he's at his best when he has that clarity of role, but isn't burdened about any undue pressure. Mm -hmm. Sure, he's still the part of leadership group, whichever team he represents, be it Australia, the Stars, Royal Challengers, or Spirits for that matter. But we have seen it in the past that any kind of undue pressure affects his performance a lot. Hmm. So if they are to even contemplate about giving him any title, it should be that of a vice captain at match. Hmm. That way, he would not be involved in the game as well as not be burdened by the pressure of leading the pack.
1: Exactly. And uh, now, you know, in the episode so far, we have spoken so much about different candidates that Australia can consider. Now, what do you reckon are, you know, Australia's chances for this T20 World Cup? And can they repeat the 2021 heroics? I mean, did you actually see that win coming? Because everyone had pegged, maybe all teams except Australia for that win. So, how do you look at it?
2: Well, the 15-man squad that we have named for this edition is actually similar to the one that played the previous edition. barring the swap between Tim David and Mitchell Swepson. Basically, what I'm trying to say is they are a settled squad with each player aware of their respective roles and responsibilities. So Hmm. come to the match day, considering the kind of picks we have announced to defend our title. And since I don't want to jinx anything, (laughs) I would just say that we are going to be a force to reckon with. As far as the previous Hmm. edition is concerned, though, I did not think that we would go that far. I mean, yeah, sure. I was aware that we would be qualifying for the knockouts. Hmm. The very first game, the way uh, Smudge and the entire company pulled out that heist against South Africa Hmm. on a slowish wicket, I was aware that yeah, we are at least gonna be in the knockout, the top four. But post that, it all depends on the way how we perform on that particular day. Because yeah, it doesn't. Ma- it doesn't matter how much ki- how much of a skill and how much of an experience you have in your particular playing eleven. Mm-hmm. Come to the knockout matches. All you actually require that little bit of luck as well in mm-hmm. knockout games, like which actually favored Australia in that particular tournament. We we ended up winning both the tosses in the semi final as mm-hmm. well as the final. But the kind of the kind of the kind in which we actually pulled off the semi final heist. After being 100 for 5 with Marcus Toines and Matthew Wade Hmm. to chase some 60-70 odd against the likes of Shahina Afridi, Haris Rauf and Hassan Ali for that matter. I mean, the ball was gripping a lot. Hassan Ali was a really handy weapon on that particular wicket. Hmm. But the the way these two guys pulled off that heist, especially the way Matthew Wade tongued Shahina Afridi for fun all over the park. Hmm. I still cannot get that image of my mind where he just <laughs> lap shot it Shahina Fridi behind I guess it was fine leg yeah, mm-hmm. o- over fine leg and that 6 I can still imagine it very clearly I mean I can remember it vividly mm. so yeah I did not see that coming but as soon as the semi final was done and dusted I was sure that yeah we are here for something pretty special and ended up the way I was actually not even scared when Kane Williamson was going bonkers against Mitchell Stark mm-hmm. in that final because I knew the kind of batting depth we had. I mean, I don't think that there is any other team in the international setup at this moment mm-hmm. bearing Australia and England to some extent,
3: mm-hmm. who
2: actually bat up until number ninth. I mean, if I even consider Adam Zampa as a batsman, I could say even number 10 because Mm -hmm. Adam Zampa did swing his bat in the recently concluded Zimbabwe series. Mm. And those were not easy wickets at all. And the way he swung his bat so emphatically in the Zimbabwe series as well as the New Zealand one, Mm -hmm. that was just phenomenal. So the kind of batting depth we had, I was pretty sure that, yeah, we are easily able to pull off that final in our favor. Which actually, de- which actually, we did not even require. Mitchell Marsh was just in another mood on that <laughs> night. Yes, yes.
1: Exactly. You know, Australia with the kind of uh, talent they have, the depth they have, abundance, it's just amazing, right? And uh, they are obviously a side to reckon with and it will be exciting to see them, you know, in this T20 World Cup, considering they're playing at home, you know. A lot Mm -hmm. of, uh, I wouldn't say pressure, a lot of, you know, expectations riding on them. But let's hope, you know, nevertheless, we get to see a very good performance from this quality side.
2: And well, I are. think expectations do come with being a representative of Australian cricket
3: <laughs> team. I mean, yes. we have
2: seen yes. the all-conquering side of Steve Waugh, that of Funder, hmm. and at the same time, that of Meg Lenning as well.
3: Hmm.
2: So yeah, I'm not too bothered about the expectations being on our back because, yeah, we feed off expectations. Exactly. We feed of that confidence. We feed of the opposition being afraid of us. So I'm pretty excited for our title defence. Exactly. I
1: think Australia's USP has been, you know, thriving under pressure and just putting those quality performances and setting the template, right, for other uh, countries to follow. You've won the most uh, World Cups as well. And that is obviously no mean feat. So, uh, you know, it's (laughs) just amazing uh, to see that way. And uh, just, you know, take the conversation ahead. Let's talk about the Australian women's cricket team, right? Now, we have had a star yeah. batter and vice captain, Rachel Haynes, who has recently announced her retirement from international cricket. Now, this mm-hmm. brings the curtain down on what has been an illustrious career that has, that has um, been a proper roller coaster ride, you know, off the record. We were just yeah. talking of, you know, how many setbacks she's had and how every time, you know, she's just come back and just made such a big statement, right? So what what are right. your thoughts on this retirement and how you're just soaking it all in?
2: To be honest, Neha, I did not check my Twitter the day it happened. Oh, I mean, I checked my Twitter feed around noon,
3: mm-hmm. Indian
2: time, of course, and I instantly went numb. I could not believe what I just saw. Mm-hmm. I was like, every other person on this planet did not see this coming, especially with Meg out on an indefinite break from cricket exactly. and a women's yeah. T20 World Cup in the few months time. I think it's February. Hmm. So yeah, this around this announcement just made me numb. She was such an integral part of that all-conquering Aussie setup hmm. I just mentioned. Yeah. It was like a safe blanket to be honest. Like even if the top o- it actually allowed the top order to go bonkers. I mean, hmm. even if I put it analogically, if it was Mark Wine, Steve was all-conquering Aussies, Damien Martin in Pandas
3: mm-hmm.
2: it was actually Rachel Hines and Meg Lenning's All Conquering. Movies. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, she has been a trailblazer, right? Her career has been uh, just remarkable to see. She made her debut way back in 2009. She's represented her country in six tests, 77 ODIs, 84 T20Is. And she's probably, what, the ninth highest run getter for Australia in both limited overs formats, having scored 2,585 runs. And at an average of 39.76, she scored 850 runs in T20 is, averaging a good 26.56. A brilliant player and class apart, you reckon?
2: Look, uh, I don't think even her numbers reflect what she has done for this side. Hmm. She was such a vital piece in development of this all conquering Aussies. That glue, which more often than not held everything together. Yes. I mean, the kind of impact knocks she had made us habitual to were something never heard of before in women's cricket. Hmm. Not to forget her chipping in with her inputs about the game situation. And how can I forget those out of nowhere miraculous fielding efforts? Yes. She used to pull it for fun with so much ease. Hmm. It was like, no matter how bad a collapse we had suffered, it was always like that situation india had with dhoni hmm. it's not it's not over as long as rachel is hanging in there hmm.
1: I mean, she is a vital uh, cog in their setup, right? She has served as Australia's vice captain since 2018. And uh, since then, Australia has backed three World Cups, right? Now, this is a 50-0 World Cup, two T20 World Cups, or the gold medal at the recently concluded Commonwealth Games. So, do you think this is going to be a big vacuum for Australia to fill after this departure? Yeah,
2: yeah absolutely it will be a huge void to fill for anybody,
3: mm-hmm.
2: not only because of her reputation, but more so because of the skill set she possessed with mm-hmm. the bat in her mind and of course in the field. There could have been no better option for deputy to make than Rach because mm-hmm. the two of them were not only complementing each other, but their approach towards a particular opposition or a game per se mm-hmm. was also very similar. I mean, during the 2017-18 women's multi format Ashes. A lot of people referred her ascendance to captaincy after her not so long ago comeback Mm -hmm. as actually strange. But at the end of the series, we all saw what a masterstroke it turned out to be. Her on-field brilliance was, her on-field brilliance will actually be the biggest challenge for anybody Mm -hmm. who will slot in next to fill that void created by her retirement
1: right and even when we look at uh, Rachel Haynes's career right now it can be divided up into two parts up to 2013 and then after return in 2017 and she hasn't looked back since now having been dropped you know after that 2013 uh, ashes in England she was recalled for that tour in uh, New Zealand nearly four years later and from that point on she has averaged what 45.07 in ODIs and 33 in t 20 is and this is at a very good strike rate of 126.15 her final international match was that Australia's you know gold uh, medal victory against India at the Commonwealth Games so what are your thoughts on uh, her career and you know even off the record you were talking right about how 2013 was like a change uh, was a turning point in her life so thoughts on the same
2: look uh, it requires a really strong character and a tough mindset to be able to have a career like Rachel did if I can recall correctly, she scored some ninety odd on her test debut and narrowly missed her century by two or three runs. Yes, yes. This was again in the women's Ashes. Mm. Not to mention the kind of pressure that that particular series inflicts upon players. This uh, add to that that she came in to bat at five down for some thirty odd runs. This actually goes on to tell you the kind of skill set she possessed when she mm. came onto the international arena, and with time this only got better and better but post 2013 World Cup it was actually a slump it and more so it was a cause of worry Hmm. because when it happens in an Ashes series up north it is advertised in the media a lot more than people think Hmm. and when this happened she kind of lost her touch to be honest and was not only axed from this contract prior to the start of 2015-16 season Hmm. Uh, but she contemplated on leaving cricket entirely. Wow! When she lost her state contract, hmm. she actually left cricket and started pursuing her university degree. Hmm. For a year, she did not touch a cricket bat either. Come the twenty sixteen, she was even contemplating on announcing her retirement. <laughs> but but but, like we say, life comes to a full circle. Hmm. The way she grabbed the opportunity when she was recalled into that national side with the injuries to a veteran Alex Blackwell and Ellis Perry has to be commended. Mm. It not only allowed to her, uh, it not only allowed her to show that she has still got it inside her, but man, she did it so emphatically.
3: Mm.
2: From that point onwards, I think she never looked back. Post her re- post her uh, resurgence in that New Zealand series, she was also announced captain for the Home series, uh, home series against England, the Ashes, mm-hmm. the women's multi format Ashes. And boy, how did she captain that series? I mean, we all, pe- uh, I mean, most of the Aussies remember that series for Elise Perry's heroic in that test, mm-hmm. the double century. But you cannot forget the kind of impact uh, Rachel Hines had in that series as a captain. The decisions she used to make, the crunch moment she used to seize it was just emphatic and i don't think from that point onwards she looked back it was like a nothing to lose kind of a situation for her and perhaps that freedom actually allowed her to restamp her authority on the international cricket like she did when she when she announced herself with that stunning ton stunning half century <laughs> um, i still consider that as a ton though yes yeah. Because any score of 90s against England in England mm. is no less than a ton, to be honest. It actually, if anything, it actually is more than a ton because she came into at 30 for five and she left. The, she was dismissed for 97 or 98, and mm. the score of the team was 271 for six. She staged a 230 partnership with uh, the then skipper. Yes. I think it's caused Joanne Fields.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So she did stamp re-stamp her authority and she did make people realize what Rachel Hines is, what kind of skill set she possessed. And I was not surprised when they named her deputy of Meg. mm
3: mm-hmm.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, Rachel Haynes has uh, often been this underrated player for Australia. She's been in the shadows because Australia does have this knack of producing quality players, right? She was in the same generation as Eddie Sperry, Meg Lanning, I Mm -hmm. mean, to name a few. But I think Mm -hmm. what really stood out about Rachel Haynes is the fact that she filled a variety of batting positions right through her career. She finished as an opener in tests and ODIs. Uh, you know, ending her one-day career at the 2022 World Cup, where she was the second highest run getter behind Alisa Healy. Then she also became Australia's middle-order safety net, as you know, you also spoke about earlier in this episode, in T20 eyes. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a role yeah. that was, you know, never better exemplified than against, uh, you know, Sri Lanka, I think it was in Perth, uh, during that mm-hmm. 2020 uh, T20 World Cup, after Australia's tournament had been uh, left on a knife edge, right, after they suffered yeah. a loss <laughs> against India in the first game. So, how would yeah. you look look at her game and uh, the subsequent contributions because she's uh, your once in a generation type player uh, you don't exactly. get players like these often right so how would you look at her
2: it is actually a really funny thing to begin with i mean rachel hines has batted top of the order in the middle of uh, in the middle lower order as a finisher but she has been so acclimatized to literally every position that when Alex, Bla- Alex Blackwell was the designated finisher, she mm. was playing the role of a middle order bat- uh, batter. And then the resurgent phase where she played lower middle order and often finished games for Australia. Mm. Like I said before, her presence in that middle order was like a safety blanket for the Aussies at the top. It's all going to be fine until Rachel is in the middle. Mm. <laughs> I mean, even when there was a collapse of top order, Hmm. But I'll be honest with you. I was a little terrified with the way that collapse triggered, especially hmm. with Healy departing in the very first over of the chase. Yeah. It was it was not a huge total, but it was not an easy pitch either.
3: Hmm.
2: We were three down actually for not much in the power play. I guess it was 30 or 28 runs when the third wicket fell. Hmm. But the kind of proactive partnership uh, reached stitch with Meg in there was not only crucial in that context of the game, but also our entire campaign, given the fact that we had already lost our opening game to Harman Prith Kaur's women, mm-hmm. and rather emphatically. That sort of gave momentum to the squad, I think, that we could pull off a heist from the worst of the situations, which was actually apparently evident from the way we went through the entire tournament, mm-hmm. as well as the 2021 Women's 50 Over World Cup and the 2022 Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And uh, Rachel Haines, right now, she has become the first member of Australia's golden generation to retire from international cricket. And Mm -hmm. I think her retirement will obviously leave uh, Cricket Australia with another uh, potential captaincy decision to make because she has been Mm -hmm. uh, Meg Lanning's deputy for almost five years now. And you also Mm -hmm. earlier spoke about how, you know, you did not see it coming and you were almost numb. So uh, now that you have time and, you know, to put things in perspective and Meg Lanning is also on this indefinite break, Think, like who? Do you think uh, this was the best call considering the situation right now? Uh,
2: I personally think that when you are not in that particular frame of mind where you can completely allow yourself to express on the field,
3: hmm.
2: you should actually, I think with that frame of mind, it was a right call. I mean, like I said before, I was like every other person. I did not see this coming, especially hmm. with Meg out with a break and the World Cup on the horizon next year.
3: Mm. But
2: like she said, she took this decision in her right frame of mind and not just out of spite. So we all just need to respect that as individuals. But the fact that it leaves a gaping hole for the captaincy role in the Australian setup isn't hidden either. Like in the men's team, there are a few candidates for the captaincy role Mm. and and experience in the women's side as well. With Midge and Perry. Hmm. Both of them have captained their respective states, Perry more than Midge, of course. Hmm. So it will be interesting to see where the Baton lands with respect to captaincy. I personally think it would land closer to Perry Hmm. just because of the fact that she has had more experience captaining her state uh, as compared to Elisa Healy.
1: Absolutely. You know, in fact, uh, the very next point I was going to discuss about is uh, who should Australia uh, consider as their uh, skipper? Because, you know, they have uh, set their eyes on the succession plan for some time now, right? Now, mm-hmm. Lanning is 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Alisa Healy, who's 32. Elise Perry, who's 31. And Australia is always uh, invested in youth, right? We have Talia Megra, mm-hmm. We have yeah. Annabel Sutherland, we have so many players who are coming from the setup who are just... Uh, you know, playing so well in the international arena, showing no signs of any, you know, nervousness or anything. So, do you think Australia should invest in youth or for the time being, till Meg Lanning comes back, probably just have Elise Perry or Alisa Healy uh, take over
2: the reins? Look, given the fact there is a World Cup on the horizon early next year in February, Mm -hmm. if Meg isn't to return by that time, I think Pez has to be the one to lead the side in that tournament. Mm-hmm. She's not aware of the side, she's not only aware of the site's dynamics and approaches, but has also been with the site for more than a decade now. Mm. But just like you said, with the future in prospect, though, they may name Ash as her deputy. I mean, she's young, she's already an integral part of this setup. Mm. She's the designated finisher of this Australian lineup. So, yeah, Ellis Perry as captain and Ashley Gardner. Ashley Gardner as a deputy. Oh. That has to be the designated leadership roles for Australia. Comes the Women's T20 World Cup in February next year.
1: Right, and even Ellie Perry. Right now, we've seen her warm the benches for the better part of so many uh, series that Australia has been a part of. So hopefully, you yeah. know she too can acclimatize and just if she does get that opportunity till Meg Lanning is back, make the most of it Mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, help Australia steer through this, uh, I wouldn't call it a transition period, but maybe just a challenging time for them in the absence of their uh, star skipper Meg Lanning, right?
2: Yeah, that's actually actually one thing I love about uh, these boards, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw how Ben Stokes... Took a mental health break. We yes. saw how Glenn yes. Maxwell took it. We saw, we just mentioned we just talked about Meg doing the same. Mm. I think this is actually what allows players to grow as a person, as an individual, as a character. Mm. And I really think that Meg takes as much as much time as she needs to get back to her group because she is too good a player to miss on the action. Exactly. But meanwhile, I do think that Elise Perry has got the skill to lead this side into the tournament and actually triumph come out triumph hmm.
1: no doubt i mean ellis perry has been in this uh, setup for so long she has the pedigree to be that amazing uh captain as well and you know yes. talking about the mental health discourse too right we recently saw how Nat mm-hmm. Sivar, uh, is taking a break you know considering how she's being going at it with cricket so how important uh-huh. do you think is you know addressing mental health uh, amongst players and even the support staff for that matter
2: vital important. i mean not only just players or support staff i personally feel everybody should take a pause with whatever they are doing just when they think that yeah i'm not in the rightest space of minds as a person i mean if i i won't talk about anybody else i myself took a mental health break about eight or ten months Mm -hmm. i'm still on a social media cleansing to be honest it was it was so toxic for me to grow in that particular environment that I just had to pause everything that I was doing. Mm. So, yeah, I think if you want to really grow as an individual, you have to take them. you have to take that mental health break. No matter one month, ten months, any year, however long it takes. Mm. You just have to prioritize everything later and yourself and your health first. I mean, just the way you look at Virat Kohli. That's the most recent example we have seen in international cricket. Yeah. He took a mental health break of one month. He did not touch his cricket bat for an entire month in his career. Exactly. And look how it paid, what kind of rewards it paid. I mean, Mm. he did end up seeing his 71st, the much hyped, much famed 71st. Mm. So I do think that people should prioritize mental health more now than ever absolutely like it is high time that people should look at it as not a disease as not a calamity or something as Mm. not some some sort of mental disorder but just some sort of problem with your head Mm. like because sometimes when you just get inside of your head you think too much you actually end up making bad scenarios worse worst scenarios worst and you make blunders of the worst scenarios i mean Hmm. you cannot in in such situations you cannot even uh, pick up the easiest of opportunities you cannot grab them with either of your hands Hmm. let alone both so i think people should start prioritizing their mental health all above everything
1: Absolutely. It's such a good point to uh, bring up and considering you know we have cricketers who are speaking up now about their mental health struggles, mm-hmm. I think I think it really kind of you know uh, destigmatizes and makes normalizes you know this conversation around mental health, which is certainly the need of the art. and thank you so much for you know sharing your experience as well. and uh, yeah. before you know we wrap up this episode, do you have any final thoughts and a message for our listeners?
2: Well, at the end of, At the end of the day, I would just like to summarize what we just discussed. Mm -hmm. I mean, experience is very much needed when entering any ICC tournament, be it men's or women's, Mm -hmm. more so when you are defending titles like Australia are. So I think there has to be a toss-up between the likes of Steve Smith or David Warner for the captaincy role as -hmm. far as Australia's men's team is concerned. And it has to be Elise Perry to fill the women's captaincy.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: All in all, I think next few months of cricket, are going to be as exciting to watch in both men's and women's cricket. So to all fans who are listening, just enjoy the games we all love. Peace.
1: (laughs) Exactly. You know, we do have a very exciting uh, cricketing schedule uh, lined up for us. And yeah, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Anshul, you know, for joining me on the podcast. uh, You know, here's hoping to have you back on the podcast, you know. I would love to pick your brains on another topic. And until next time, take care and bye.
2: I'm actually looking forward to how long it takes for us to interact again on this particular (laughs) topic (laughs) because just today the Ashes schedules were announced and I could see that they have pushed forward. They have actually pushed it forward so as to acclimatize time, so as to put in time for the 100 actually. Mm -hmm. And not going to lie, the month of June and July are just perfect for basketball cricket. (laughs) So it's going to be... Hell of a lot exciting, this ashes up north. Exactly. Yeah. And the- I, I actually- hope we do have this particular conversation about the Australian triumph once absolutely. we are done with the final on November 14th.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We'll absolutely look forward to that conversation. But thank you so much, yeah. Ansh- Anshul. See you on the other side. Yeah,
2: pleasure was all mine.
0: this, we draw curtains on the episode that served as a discussion on the Australian Captaincy Conundrum. Thank you so much listeners for tuning into this episode and for your unstinted support throughout. Please follow and press the bell icon on Spotify and subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcasts for the latest episode updates and stay tuned do check out at the rate never on the back foot on instagram and at the rate never on the back one on twitter for the latest facts terminology retweets fresh tweets and a lot more that's coming up this cricket season just for you the podcast is also available on apple podcast google podcast Spotify, anchor overcast and a lot of other platforms so please do spread the word until next time stay safe and
3: take care listeners bye for now